do the intros again too? Okay. Yeah, you know what's really aggravating? We download one and they do the intro, like the two or three minute intro where they talk about their guest or whatever, and it's really clear, and then they cut the actual interview and it's in a bar somewhere, and it sounds awful. There's like, God, I previewed this, I thought it was good. Thank you for joining us on Longest War. On this episode, we have former Army Infantry Officer Dave Andros. Dave, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, glad to be here. You went to West Point. Yes. What year? I graduated in 2005. 2000. So what year did you start there? 2001? Yeah. Your first semester at West Point was when 9-11 happened? We were in class, right? And we were, we were just north of New York City, so we often spent time in the city. Actually, the weekend before 9-11, I was in New York City, which is kind of crazy. But um, yeah, we were in class and uh, when the first plane hit the first tower and then we had TVs in, in the classrooms. We didn't get many channels. We had like eight channels or something. But uh, the teachers put it on and we were watching it. We actually watched live while the you know, second plane flew into the second tower and it was, we were like, oh man, something's going on. But nobody, nobody really knew what was going on. So they kind of, there wasn't like a lockdown or anything like that because nobody really knew what was happening. Yeah. But, uh, Everybody knew something was going on, so it was kind of, man, are we going to be like, you know, because we're so close to New York City, we were like, hey, are we going to be deployed? You know, are they going to ask the cadets to go down? Because we were technically on active duty. So it was like, hey, are they going to ask cadets to go down there and help with cleanup, et cetera, et cetera? They never did, but uh, it was maybe like one or two weeks after 9-11, I went back down to the city and got as close as I could to ground zero. And it was just crazy because I'd been there three weeks before, you know, now I'm looking at ground zero after the, you know, after the attacks. It was, it was pretty, pretty surreal. How you were 18? I was a little bit older cause I did five years of high school. Oh, you did that. Uh, you did that, uh, extended yeah, path. I was huh? in, I was in no rush to, <laughs> I was in no rush to get to college. I did two sophomore years in high school on purpose. I always tell people. But sure. Sure. It was on, yeah, well, I mean, it was definitely on purpose. It was definitely on purpose. The first time you just like, ah, fuck it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It was, I went to boarding school. So I was in public school here and then I went to boarding school and they were like, Hey, you're like, you're good academically, but like not good enough for here. So like, can you like do your sophomore year over again? And for athletics, you got like another year for athletics. Ah, I gotcha. Which was good. So I was a little bit older. I was in 2001, I was 20. I turned 20 in July. What was the boarding school? Was it because uh, your dad was like, I either murder you or you go to boarding school? No, no, it's like boarding school for good kids. It oh, was okay. like, it was like college for high school students. Okay, gotcha. Which is a little bit scary. And you weren't quite ready, so instead of getting right into Notre Dame, you had to go to Holy Cross for a year. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, so it's 2001. You get there. You're 20 years old. This shit goes down. Did the vibe change there? Yeah. I mean, it got more serious, right? Like, people were, uh, like, my friends, you know, I played hockey there, so I had really close friends that were upperclassmen, which, you know, it may be a bit rare for people that weren't athletes, right? You might not have a lot of friends outside of your class, but I had really good friends that were, you know, graduating that year and in, in, in 2002 and 2003. And those guys, like, they knew, you know, oh man, when we graduate, we're going to combat, right? So it was like a very different mindset. And uh, you started to know, like, you know, your friends that were deploying. So you're like, it is real. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's actually going to happen. So I think that, like, for myself, at least, I started to take it a little bit more seriously from like a military preparation standpoint. So we put boots on ground in Afghanistan like uh, what, five weeks later after 9-11. Yeah. So it was like mid-October, early October, mid-October. Uh, was there any feeling of like, damn, we're going to miss it? 
like it's going to be over? Because you got four years of school left in front of you. Was there any thought like this thing will be over by the time we graduate and we won't get to go? I don't think anybody ever thought, you know, in 20, 2017, we'd still be in Afghanistan, right? Like, I think at the time you were thinking, oh, yeah, we'll go in there, slap some people around, we'll remind them that we're America, you right. know, and then we'll get, then we'll come home. Right. Because, like, our most recent memory was Desert Storm, right? And that would yeah. last like, all of a few months, a handful of casualties. So I think the mindset was more like, yeah, we'll, we'll remind them who we are, and then we'll, then we'll get back to business. Yeah, more like a blip on the radar. Yeah. So as you get, so let's fast forward to your uh, senior year. You're getting ready to graduate. By that point, we're four years into Afghanistan. We're two years into Iraq. Yeah. You knew you were going somewhere, right? Yeah, I knew I was going somewhere. I had, uh, I, had I knew I had a little bit more time, though. I had a bunch of shoulder surgeries. So after my senior season of college hockey, I, I had two shoulder surgeries kind of back-to-back. So I knew I was going to get delayed a little bit. I was actually, you know, they were telling me I wasn't going to be able to do infantry. And so I was kind of nervous about that. And I was actually fighting that to make sure I could do infantry. But I knew I had like another year or so before I'd actually get to a unit because, you know, if you're an officer and you're doing infantry, and I had that delay because of shoulder surgery, it's like you got to go to, you know, OBC, then you got to go to ranger school, and then I wasn't airborne qualified, so you got to go to airborne school, and then, you know, some people go to all these other schools, so it's like another eight to nine months after. You met Megan, your wife, at West Point, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. All right, so uh, when did you guys get married? After you graduated? Our marriage story is crazy, man. So, like, I, I met Megan when she was a plebe, which was illegal. Because I was an upperclassman. How, but far, how far ahead were you? I was just a year ahead. She's 06. So okay. She was a year ahead. But I tutored her in math and chemistry. So we, we like knew each other. We never dated or anything. Because like at West Point, if you date a plebe, like you're gone. You know, like, really? They, yeah. And I was like, they, you're gone. You, they send you to the, send you to the army or they kick you out <laughs> and you owe like a well, couple hundred grand. They you like enlisted to yeah, the army? Like yeah. is it E1? As an E2 or an E3. Oh, so I was, you know, so you don't mess around with that, right? But, um, but yeah, we dated all through college, and then uh, I finished Ranger School in September of 2006. We got engaged right before Ranger School. And I was like, hey, we should, just, we should just get engaged. We've been dating for a long time, whatever. Super romantic way to do it. Super romantic. We got engaged in a, in a BOQ at Fort Benning, Georgia. <laughs> Super romantic. And I went to Ranger School, and then the day I graduated Ranger School, I was like, hey, if we're going to get a post together, like if the Army's going to put us together, we actually need to be married, because the Army, the Army doesn't care if you're not married. Right. And so I said, hey, do you want to you just, like, make this official today? And so we, like, I was wearing the BDUs I graduated ranger school in. We, like, went over to Columbus, Georgia courthouse and went upstairs and just knocked it out. And it was, that, that was, we got married. That was, we got married. I got married the same day I graduated ranger school. What did, uh, what did you guys' parents think of that set up? My parents were kind of like, hey, yeah, that's great. You know, understood the reason, right? Because, like, got a post together. I was likely going to get deployed. All, this, all these good reasons. Her parents didn't know. We didn't tell her parents for a while. Her parents are still, still pissed. You know, that was 2006, so 11 years later, her parents are still pissed, I think. Way to start the marriage on the right foot with mom and dad, yeah. right? You know, the funny part is her brother did the same thing. <laughs> her brother did the same thing. Like, oh, no joke? Like five or six years ago, yeah. But yeah, we got married. I knew I was going to airborne school. I had a, a chance to go to some other schools too. Kind of passed up on those opportunities. The Army basically gave us five choices. They were like, you can go to Fort Irwin, Fort Campbell, Fort Polk, Fort Hood, or Fort Riley together. I think we're like the five choices, something like that. And I wanted to go to Campbell, and Megan wanted to go to Hood. So we went to Hood, and uh, that's how that goes. And then I found out, my, I got my unit orders, and it was like, hey, your unit is deploying like right before you get there. So the day you show up, they're basically going to like, look you over, make sure you're good. You're going to do your pre-deployment screen, then you're going to go join your unit. So I joined my unit like a month late. 
And she didn't deploy with you that first time, right? She was still up at West Point as a graduate assistant. She did that for a while, and then she had OBC. I was deployed, because it was a surge, so we got extended. It was a 15-month deployment. So when I got back, she was finally at Hood. And then, so the second tour, you guys deployed together. The second tour, we deployed together, yeah. The first one's separate. Let's back up just a little bit. Talk about Ranger School. What was that like? What was that experience? Did you get recycled any? No, so I went straight through, uh, which was as much luck as it was anything, I think. But um, Ranger School was cool. Like, I enjoyed it. Like, it was... It's probably one of the more challenging things I've done. I think you learn a lot about your body's ability to operate when you're, you know, sleep deprived, hungry, can't think about anything but like burying your face in like a bucket of ice cream and like taking a nap. But um, yeah, I think you learn how to operate under stress and you, you realize like the tolerances maybe that you thought existed, you can push past those pretty quickly. It was one of the first chances too where you're like, I mean, you're leading like a set of your peers and, you know, a lot of the people were you know, Ranger Regiment guys going through and whatever. So it's a pretty, you know, pretty demanding set of people you're trying to lead around uh, under some pretty demanding circumstances. I had a lot of fun. Like, I have great memories from it. It's kind of right up my alley, man. Like, you know, not showering, not wearing underwear, walking around, hanging out in the woods for, like, long periods of time was kind of... That's how I grew up. Is peer review a part of it? Yeah, people get peered out, yeah. So not only have you you have to do all the stuff, but you have to do all the stuff, like, without being a dickhead, right? Like, you have to be... You have to treat people like human beings and shit. You can't just fucking throw orders around and be an asshole. Yeah, or you can't just, like, perform when you're in the spotlight and then when it's your turn to just, you know, do the grunt tasks, not pick up the slack because people, people recognize that. But it was cool. Like, at West Point, you do this thing called CTLT where you go pretend to be a platoon leader for a couple of months. And I was with the 173rd in, in Vicenza, Italy, and my platoon sergeant was this, like, guy who like ate nails for breakfast uh this guy sergeant pena and he was like when i got there the platoon leader wasn't there so he's like you're gonna be my platoon leader and like the first day he ripped the you know we had a west point patch on our vdus he like ripped it off and was like you're in the 173rd like you you know and he like yelled at this e5 he's like you take this guy to the px and you, you haven't put our patch on and then he was like what's this hat you know because i was wearing a just like a what was hats called you know like the baseball hat looking things field cap field cap yeah well they were all in berets right it was an airborne unit so they're all in red berets and uh he was like, what's his hat? You need a rubber A. So he made this E5, like, take me to the PX, get a new patch, and, like, stay up with me all night while we, like, shaved and shaped my beret. What's that E5, I think, like, hated you. probably still hates me. Yeah. But, um. Because you didn't know what the fuck you were doing. You never shaved the beret before. No. So it's funny, like, fast forward to 2006, I'm in Ranger School. I get to Florida, which is, like, the last phase, and sitting there getting instruction from the RIs, and I look over, and, and there's Sarpena. And so, like, I found a chance where it was okay for me to go up to him, and I was like, hey, Sergeant Pena, how's it going? And he was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like, his eyes lit up like it was Christmas. He was like, I'm going to mess this dude up. But he was, we had a really good relationship in Vicenza. Uh, I ended up, like, you know, becoming pretty close with him. And so when I saw him again in Ranger School, like, he didn't take care of me. You know, I wasn't treated any differently. But when I, I, passed, my, I passed the patrol and I was doing well, and, and he kind of said, like, hey, man, you're doing well, you know, just but but keep it up. I just want to let you know, like keep it up, right? Right. Like, you're okay, but don't stop now. Yeah. And then he, and then the last day he was like, hey, I'm gonna put you in a leadership position. You already passed. Don't worry, because when you got put in another leadership position, that either meant like maybe you failed the last one and this is like your last shot. But he was like, hey, don't worry. The guy leading the mission needs to get a go on this. So I need to put other strong people in positions to help him get a go. So that's why you're getting a leadership position. But uh, it was cool, like to see him again. You know, it's funny, like. The world's a small place, so you gotta 
You never know when you're going to bump back into people. Right. The Army's super small. The Army's super small, but that was kind of cool. So, Like a guy I went to high school with, like, ended up in the same battalion with me. Like, uh, he was one of the medics for Alpha Company. Like, we were in Afghanistan together. Like, it's just... It's crazy. You never know. Man. You never know. Of all the training at West Point, Airborne, Ranger School, what was the absolute just worst? Like, what was there anything that you just despised? Like, formations, like, 45 minutes before there's an actual formation or... I'll tell you the only thing I, I didn't like in the Army. Well, there's, there's, a, there's a number of things I didn't like about the Army, but there's probably two things I didn't like. One was parade practice at West Point. That's, like, absolutely the most miserable. Was that know, just, like, drill and ceremony? It's just drill, just DNC, but it's, That you, you know, never do in the real Army anymore. It, it, you never do it. It's not like we're lining up and fighting the enemy in rank and file. Right. And, you know, doing big windmill turns and stuff, right? Like, it just seemed real pointless to me. It looks really good. It looks great, but it's a lot of work to make it look great. And it, to me, I just, uh, it just drove waste me nuts. Time, it's yeah. just a waste of time. But um, you can see why we do it. It looks great. People love to watch it, whatever. So I hated that. I think the other thing was like the fact that the, in the infantry, it was, it was, there was always this like push to be tough over smart, which like drove me nuts. You know, it's like, hey, it's cold out. We got long pants for PTs. Like, why don't we wear them? Right. Or like, hey, it's been raining for an hour. Now go ahead and put your wet weather gear on. It's like, dude, you saw the dark clouds. Like you knew it was going to rain. Why don't we put this stuff on before we were wet? Right. You know, like it was stuff like that that kind of just drove me. Right. Like in ranger school, that makes sense, right? But in a normal training environment. Ranger school was hilarious. Like no, nobody cared in ranger school. Like, you know, I didn't wear underwear because. You, you don't know, have under, to. Underwear when you're not showering and you're hot and sweaty for long periods of time is not your friend. Right. And so, but I blew the crotch out of my pants IMTing, like in the first phase of ranger school. And I had an extra pair in my, in my rucksack. And I was like, hey, can I put these this like clean pair of pants on. They were like, no, nah, that's for emergencies. And I was like, this is kind of an emergency. Like my junk's hanging out. And they were like, no, it's not. Like, it's not an emergency. You got a sewing kit, like go ahead, sew it up. But uh, my sew job never worked. So like, I basically went through ranger school with like my junk hanging out. I'd like IMT and it would like, every time I go down, it'd like fall out, you know, it was, that's it, not good down in like, oh, what is it, like the jungle phase down in no. the mosquitoes out and stuff. I mean, it was good because it was August, so it was real hot. <laughs> but, you know, that, that, stuff like that. It's like, hey, I got, a, I got a good pair in my rucksack. And they're like, no, that's for emergencies. I was like, I don't know what your definition of emergency <laughs> is, but I th I'm pretty sure I'm there. So uh, that's funny, man. So you, you were first calf? I spent almost my entire time in first calf. Yeah. How'd you like Hood? I, I liked Hood. I mean, it's huge. Right, it's just a huge place. I never had like, oh, go light or heavy or whatever. I liked having heavy vehicles. Like I liked having a Bradley fighting vehicle and kind of like riding around in a big tracked vehicle, you know, because you, you dismount it all the time anyway. But um, to have that firepower and was fun. But Hood was great because you could do a lot of, like the training areas were massive, you know, so you could do a lot of great training, a lot of fun training. And uh I had a lot of flexibility, like the second unit I led, I had a lot of flexibility to like design and do my own training. We would just go, just go do whatever we wanted. So we did a lot of like really cool vehicle mounted, you know, live fire shoots and those types of things. And so Hood was cool for that because it was just, you know, it's just endless training areas. Right. So your first deployment, you were a platoon leader at the time, right? Yeah. So my first deployment, first deployment, I was, yeah, just an infantry platoon leader. Where did you guys go to Iraq? We were in Taji, Taji, Iraq, which is like... Just north of Baghdad. And that was in 06? It's like Beaver County to Pittsburgh. It's like the country. Yeah, it's like 06 to 08. Like, what was your responsibility while you were over there as a PL, an infantry platoon? It, it was kind of everything. When I got over there, like I said, I got, I got there a little bit late. And the platoon leader, 
uh, had just gotten fired. He was like, some idiot. He was doing some dumb stuff. So they fired him. Well, the platoon sergeant, my platoon sergeant, he, uh, he had just done a deployment. Like he did like 03 to 05 in Sawyer City. You know, like hit two Purple Hearts, got hit by a bunch of grenades, like crazy hard charging, like grizzled combat vet dude. And when I got there, he was kind of like, you know, he just fired the last lieutenant. So he was, he's not excited to see another lieutenant showing up because he was, in his mind, he was like, I'm just going to run this platoon. Sure. So that was kind of the situation that I walked into. We ended up actually being pretty close. I mean, we had a lot of strong arguments, but it was probably because we both cared so much. But, and he ended up being like phenomenal NCO and, you know, I learned a ton from him. But basically we did everything. Like as a platoon leader, I mean, my job was partly to like plan missions and, and to think about, you know, how we were how we were utilizing the platoon. We ended up living at a patrol base, you know, because it was during the surge. So we were implementing coin and going out and living, living amongst the population and all those things. So we lived at this house, this J- JSS. So part of it was like, you know, how are we man and force patrol versus the, watching the routes versus like ground patrols to like do other things. So part of it was just the planning and organizing and sequencing of things. And then part of it was to, was to make sure like my NCOs didn't kill the soldiers because they were like, all my NCOs had just, had all done a deployment together with first cab in Sar city. So they were all like really hard on the, on the junior listed for good reasons. Right. Sure. But, uh, cause Sauter city was intense, right? It was real intense. I mean, for what they, for what I know about it and for what they told me about it, it was pretty intense. So yeah, I mean that, and then a lot of my time was spent interfacing with the like population, driving around, hanging out with shakes. You know, we set up like this local tribal council that was, you know, different families, right? Like mob, mob bosses. And they all got together and they had like their mob boss council. And so we, I'd spend a lot of time with those guys. Like, hey, how do we get more foot traffic in the market? How do we increase the you know, economic viability of the region? And how do we, you know, we're standing up like local police forces, um, you know, Sons of Iraq, that, that stuff. So it's like, hey, how, working with them to set that stuff up. So it was a lot of, was a lot of those types of things. It was a lot of like client engagement, right, right. if you will. Was there a lot of like offensive operations? Like, were you going to do like smash and grabs or? We did a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it was a pretty good mix of like normal patrols, hanging out, meeting people, getting to know them. We did a bunch of air assaults. We were actually like the first heavy forces since Vietnam to do an air assault, which is kind of cool. But yeah, we did a bunch of air assaults. We did a bunch of, uh, we did a bunch of kinetic missions, like just to go in, grab bad dudes. You know, a lot of them weren't in our area. Like the town that we were in was controlled by Al Qaeda and we actually had like a three-day offensive to take over, sort of take over that foothold, that JSS, and start to establish ourselves. And so Al Qaeda kind of spread out of the town, right? They kind of like left the town, if you will, and kind of set up pockets around the town. So most of our missions were, you know, outside of our daily area of operation, which was good because we didn't have to like mess up people's houses that we were also trying to like build relationships with. Right. That certainly makes it easier. So that was 15 months you did there? Yeah. So it was a 15-month deployment. Yeah, it was long. When did you find out it was getting extended? Because like when I was in Afghanistan, customs had already sealed our containers to ship back home, and they came in that night and told us. So like we had like two weeks left. We found out earlier than that. We actually, I explained to people why it was so tough for the soldiers because we found out like at nine months. We so we found out in nine months. I think it was around nine months. So we had three months left. You do that stand on your head. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, three months. I'm gonna knock that out. That and like. At nine months, everybody had already gone on mid-tour leave. Yeah. And so at nine months, you find out, oh, it's not three months, it's six, it's half a year, right? And so the morale, like, finding out, oh, went from three months, you know, and the last month is ripping out and going to Kuwait and blah, 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 right? So it was interesting. Like, 
it was tough to deal with, I think, like, because most people had been on leave, you know, half a year left now. And honestly, like, you know, summertime, like things heat up in the summertime. And so we were kind of, we were in the thick of it in the summertime. We ended up, we ended up coming back in February. So we should have came home in November. Yeah. So we found out in about August, September time frame. That's brutal. So you came at, how long did you have between your first and your second tour? 12 months. Exactly 12 months. Really? Yeah. That's quick. From a 15 month, 12 months off and then back for a year. Yep. And Megan went with you or she was in the same brigade. She was in the same brigade, but what happened was, it was, so I took over when I got home, I ended up taking over this scout platoon that was like a weird mix of like, we had an infantry squad of like sniper dudes and then a bunch of Cav scouts. What ended up happening is when we got deployed, when we were doing training, we got treated like a special unit. So like I was saying before, we, we could do whatever training we wanted. Like I would just go order ammo, talk about platoon sergeant. Hey, what do you want to do? And we'd go do all kinds of crazy training. We got trained up for a while by AWG and some other stuff. So we were, we were actually getting built to be like the brigade's kinetic action force, right? But when we deployed, something happened and the brigade kind of pushed in all different places. And they, they made us a, like a, almost like a theater level asset. But we ended up going to BIOP and being attached to 1st Infantry Division. So we like, my battalion was there, but my battalion lived at a JSS. We actually lived on BIOP and we worked with this Marine unit. We worked with 1st Infantry Division and then we, we did some stuff for my battalion, but we really like almost primarily operated with 1st Infantry Division. It was really weird. That was your role the whole 12 months you were there? No. So I, I did that for a while and then I'd been a platoon leader for, man, I, I was a platoon leader for like almost three years, which is like the greatest army career ever. Right. But there was a point in time where the S3 from Brigade was like, dude, you got to come up to Brigade and do like some staff stuff. If you don't want to be like, if you don't want to be an XO or whatever, you got to come up to Brigade. So he pulled me up there and I was the, um, I was the night battle captain for Brigade for like the last, I don't know, like three or so months. And so for people listening, like explain the joys of being a battle captain. It's like being an air traffic controller, you know, it's just like super stressful, but you really actually like can't control anything. And you just like argue with your peers who are battalion battle captains because you're trying to tell them to do stuff and they're like, screw you, man, you go do it, you know. And, and, and you don't really have any authority, you right? You have no authority, you know. It's like you're in the operations center, and if anything, like, shit hits the fan, if you anything got, goes you wrong, go it's your colonel, right? Like, if anything goes wrong, it's your fault. Right. But you have no ability to, like, do anything. Right. But we had, we had fun. Like, I, I, I was the night battle captain, so, and our area, I, we were in downtown Baghdad at that point in time. I was at this place called War Eagle. It's, like, right on the river, right next to Sadr City. So our area of operation was really active, and a lot of, like, a lot of special ops Every night there were special ops operations, right? Night so, raids and stuff, right? All that stuff. So I spent a lot of time dealing with those guys. Like, you know, they, they never wanted to tell you they were doing anything, but then like your dudes are out there operating. It was the largest operational area in Iraq at the time in terms of battle space. And I basically just had to like make sure everybody was coordinated in some way. And like there was no blue on blue or, you know, any of that. So it was kind of nuts, man. And that's a lot of people to be... It was a lot of people. With. Yeah, it was a lot of people. Thousands and thousands of soldiers. Yeah, it was in the Baghdad area. Yeah, it was nuts. It was a really stressful job. Like it was probably one of the most stressful jobs I, I've I've ever had. After that tour, you come back to Hood. How much longer were you in the army for then? Not long. We got back in like January, I think, end of January maybe. And, and uh, when did I, you decide to get out? So I decided while I was deployed. So I I applied. It's funny. Like I applied to business school in a chew overlooking like. 
the river in downtown Baghdad, you know, with really crappy internet. So I, I decided like right before we left, I was the brigade moving officer. So I was like packing up all the stuff and whatever. I was like, I, I'm probably going to try and go to business school. So I like hurried up and banged out the GMAT, which is probably not the smart, smartest way to do the GMAT. And then while I was deployed, I was like, well, I got to pick some schools to, to apply to. So I applied to some schools, found out which ones I got into, and then ended up coming back like a little bit early from Iraq to go, like a week early from Iraq to go to this like interview selection thing for a scholarship at Cornell and uh, really liked the school and decided I was going to go there. So I already knew like when, I already knew basically when the whole brigade got back, I already knew I'm accepted to Cornell. I'm going to the school, getting out in June and that's it. Did Megan get out at the same time? No, so she was a year behind me. So I got out in June, left Hood at like end of July, went to business school, and she stayed at Hood for another year. Okay, so let's work back from that. So the first year you're married, you're at Hood, and she's at, no, you're in Iraq, and she's at West Point still. Yep. And then you spend a year together, and yeah. then you go to Iraq, but you're not together. You're at different fobs. That's right. And then she's still at Hood for a year while you're at course. So like the first four years you're married, you guys spent like, 12 months together of that. Yeah, and that 12 months, that 12 months that we were together, I went to scout leaders course at Knox for six weeks or five weeks or whatever it was. I did Humvee gunnery, which is like a bunch of time in the field. I did Bradley gunnery, which is a bunch of time in the field. Uh, we did NTC. So you figure like six months out of that 12 months was spent in the field. Right, so like you don't even really know this person. <laughs> yeah, so when she got to Cornell my second year of business school, it was the first time in our marriage in six years that we would like, we were actually going to live together for an entire year. Yeah. No field time, no CQ, no, no field staff time. duty. Yeah. No field time. No, you're going to a school for a month. No, none of that. So that's a, that's an adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool though. I mean, it's funny. Like we did that year and then I, I started consulting. Right. So I was traveling four days a week. So, so it was like, we're kind of easing into marriage. You know? Right. <laughs> Taking it slow. Taking, Taking it, it real slow. slow. You jumped right in and then you decided to... We got the rest of our lives. Pump we'll, breaks we'll, a bit. Yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So you graduated business school and then you went into consulting. Uh, and how long... What are you doing now? So right now I work for... Uh, I left consulting in July last year and, and uh, I joined in like an early stage e-commerce company. Joined a guy named Glenn Meekham, who's a you know, well-known Pittsburgh entrepreneur, also, also an army guy. He actually left Harvard Business School to go to the Gulf War. Uh, which is kind of cool. So we postponed Harvard Business School to to go deploy. Go get her. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. But um, I wanted to try and be part of building a company, right? And uh, given Glenn's track record and his leadership abilities and his, just his business mind, right? It was a really exciting opportunity for me to you know, to get my uh, get my hands dirty in some some type of entrepreneurial endeavor. And so I uh, joined that company. I was leading like their strategy and business development group. Was kind of doing a little bit of everything. It's kind of almost acting like an internal consultant in a sense. Um, for Glenn and then also for the rest of the business. And now I'm leading all of operations and strategies. So kind of basically running the day-to-day. -day. Do you like it? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's fun. You know, Glenn always uses the analogy, we're, 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 we're building a plane while we fly it, right? And so it's a, it's a different type of stress than other jobs I've had, but it's, um, but it's fun to, you know, try and build something of value to other people. So Did you like the consulting you were doing before you got there? Yeah, I loved it. It was just too much. It just got, at, to, at some point, it just got to be too much travel. And we had, you know, our kid was getting a little bit older and Megan's got a good job that she loves and, and is very involved with and occupies a good amount of her time too. So I felt like uh, I needed to kind of support her a little bit more as well at home. So it was just a natural transition time. But I loved, I loved consulting. I loved the company. 
So of the three jobs, the Army consulting and the one you're at now, like, which one do you like or which one did, is your favorite, I guess? By far the Army. Yeah? Oh, yeah. If I, I always tell people, like, I gave up a chance to go to Ranger Regiment to stay at Hood for the year, for our first year together, right? Like, that year between deployments. I was, I was actually going to go to Ranger Regiment, but like... Which would have been awesome. Which would have been... It was like my dream. It was like my dream was to go to the Regiment. You'd probably still be in right now if you went to Regiment, right? Yeah, so I was like, I'm, I'm going to go to Regiment. And she was like, dude, if you go to Regiment, we're, we're just never going to see each other. Like, why did we get married? You know, we might as well get a divorce if you're going to go to Regiment. And I was like, yeah, that's probably a good point. My brigade commander basically said like, hey, I'll give you this specialty platoon leader job if you stay, you know, so you can have a cool job and whatever. And, and so, I, so that's why I stayed. But after that, if I would have been able to go to regiment, I probably would have tried to then go like do SF stuff. And I'd still be in. I tell people, if I wasn't married, if I, if I never married Megan, I'd still be in the army. Yeah, that's how I feel. Like I wouldn't, if I didn't have a family, I wouldn't have gotten out because deployments don't suck that bad. My first deployment, I was single, right? And it wasn't out of that. Second deployment, I married with a kid and it fucking sucked. I even looked into what if I wanted to get back in the army as an enlisted in special forces? Is that possible? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So is that your fallback? I looked at this a while back and Megan was like, what's wrong with you, man? Like, like, let it go, you know, like, let it go. <laughs> but um, my dream would have been like E7, E8 and SF, you know, just crusty, just crusty doing <laughs> operations, you know, brushing my teeth with some Copenhagen in the morning. Like that's, that's Be a busy guy. Yeah. Constantly deployed. Anything else you want to mention? No. No? You good? I'm good. All right. You don't want to talk about that war crime, right? No. <laughs> no, I'm good, man. That's, there's enough records on that. It wasn't me, by the way, in case anybody ever listens to this tape. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, man. It's been a blast. Yeah. I have to have you back again. Yeah, glad to be here. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Longest War. If you like what you heard, be sure to like us, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. 